Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that costs the same whether you listen to it at home or in the theatre. Absolutely free. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week we'll talk about what we've been watching, including a reflection on Alan Partridge this time, season two. We'll talk some real news. Our vintage review, looking back 20 years with 2020 hindsight, is Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. And our main review is Black Widow thematically linked there yet again we're sticking with it a female centered action lead how do they stack up against each other i guess we'll find out alas james plans were scuppered this week we were supposed to watch black widow together at the cinema but we didn't won't go into the nitty-gritty of that but wasn't meant to be so we both had to fork out a nice 20 quid each to watch this yep premiere access james would you be interested to hear some listener feedback we've had this week yes i would be interested so my friend slash fellow work colleague, Ollie, who lives in Germany. I've mentioned him before. He recommended a rather awful film on Netflix. We left him scarred last week by some of the revelations. He said, and I quote, how can you live in a country where it is all right to brush your teeth in the living room, but at the same time have restaurants without salt? I don't feel like we're painting a good picture of the UK, um, but it is the tip of the iceberg. I don't think we really lifted up the hood and, and seeing what's underneath. We've got football fans who think it's acceptable to shine lasers in the opposition's face, so we're not airing all the dirty laundry of the UK. No, I think we're on balance presenting a nice picture of the UK. Say, for example, if your bin gets stolen, it does get replaced eventually, as you've previously discussed. It's not all doom and gloom. Okay, Daniel, what have you been watching this week? Things that I wouldn't ordinarily watch. Resident Evil, Infinite Darkness. This arrived on Netflix earlier this week. Um, I'm a soft fan of the Resident Evil franchise, and I'm talking about the games, obviously. I'm never going to besmirch my own name by claiming that I'm a fan of the films, because that's just insanity. And unlike me, for some reason, I'd watched the trailer for this, and I've got to be honest, I thought it looked visually odd, but interesting. Have you seen the trailer for it? No, I've not. Okay, I'll, I'll try and explain. So effectively, this is an anime TV series and it's CG animation. So it looks somewhere between in-game graphics and the cutscenes that you get with the games, but possibly something a little more polished. And I can't help feeling like something looks off about it all. But regardless, I was still interested enough to give the first episode a go. As for what it's about, the White House, they have some server hack that happens um, after this incident. Leon Kennedy is ordered to investigate this, but he encounters zombies attacking the White House. And that's all I've really seen thus far. There's a further mystery to be uncovered, though, that's hinted at. I genuinely think, after only one episode, that this is miles above all of the good bits from the entire film franchise combined. <laughs> But the problem is, I think you have to have a really deep investment in the video game franchise to fully get the most out of this. So, for example, I'm fairly confident that Leon is one of the main characters from the early games, and I've played them, but I'm not in on the lore as much as a lot of people might be. So I'm not sitting there going, oh, holy shit, it's Leon, awesome! Because I just don't know how he feeds into the overall story with Resident Evil. And this apparently takes place between Resident Evil 4 and 5. And guess what? I don't remember what happens in those because they were years ago. So I just don't know how it's tying in with that mythology. But even if you ignore all that, it still works. It's perfectly okay and it's entertaining. The ambush of the White House, it was very thrilling. 
There's some nice gunplay action. It's very gory with its violence. But I'll come back to it. The animation itself confuses me because there's some shots that are out of this world. Amazing. They're almost indistinguishable from real world camera shots of like landscapes and such. And even the character design and the movement of them, there's some real attention to detail. It looks very authentic. But then there's always something every now and again that feels off it, it takes you out the moment because it doesn't look quite right it's not offensively noticeable but it is there and i can't put my finger on it and what one of the things that i did notice the male characters they've been animated to a really high level of detail where they look true to life but the the females they just look too video gamey it's like they couldn't be bothered and i don't get it but it is still interesting i think the whole thing comes in at under two hours so i am going to see it through and i guess if army of the dead left you wanting more zombies Here's, here's your fix until the sequel comes along. I was interested in watching that. The Netflix algorithm is, is putting it near the, the top of my recommendations. So is it action or horror or both? Both, but more action than horror, I would say, at least in the first episode. Okay. What else have you been watching? I think you should leave. Okay. No, that's what I've been watching. Um, it's a comedy sketch show that is in its second season. I think the first one was way back in 2019. And it's from a guy who I don't think I've seen him in anything before. Is he called Tony Robbins or Tony Robinson? No, Tony Robinson's time team, isn't he? Tim Robinson. Yeah, I'm I'm getting him mixed up with that self-help guy. Tim Robin Tim Robinson or Robbins? Robinson. Tim Robinson. So he he's part of the SNL alumni. I don't know if he starred in it, but I know that he was a writer on it for quite some time. I have watched the first series when it came out. And it, it got rave reviews, and a lot of people think it's absolutely incredible. All I remember from that first series is feeling like I was the odd one out and that I wasn't in on the joke. It just didn't click with me at all. But this week, I was perusing my numerous news sources, and I saw that The Guardian, of all people, had given it five stars. And I thought, well, if The Guardian thinks it's that good, I'll give it another go. Maybe I was in a bad mood or something. I am disappointed to say that I've now wasted, in my opinion, another hour of my life. I still don't get it. I think I think part of the annoyance with this is the reverence that it has. If somebody said to me, oh, it's all right, it's the perfect way to pass time if there's nothing else on, I think I'd agree and say, yeah, it's all right. It's not a masterclass in comedy. And, and you know, I did laugh a few times but they were few and far between. There's one sketch in the first episode, I think it is, where Tim Robinson, that's right, he's playing a guy promoting some cable access channel, and one of their shows is purely about bodies dropping out of coffins at funerals, and they just show you this endless conveyor belt of people just falling out of coffins and rolling down hills naked, and I, I did full-on piss myself with that. But that's about it. And I think there is some form of social commentary in this. I think the setups are good and they're quite inspired, but every time they have this like neat idea and they ruin it by just trying to be too out there and weird. So there's another sketch. I think it's the first one, actually, the first episode. And basically a woman walks into his office and she's like, Tim, there's a meeting. It's been rescheduled and it's going to take place over lunch. And he's like, over, over lunch? You, you, you can't do that. It's lunch. You just can't. Anyway, he's forced to go to the meeting and he slyly rolled a hot dog up his sleeve and he's trying to discreetly eat it during the meeting by like covering his face. And I was finding that quite amusing. But then 
he ends up accidentally swallowing the hot dog whole and choking on it, and then everyone's panicking around him, and he just got it's got too weird. And I, I don't mind absurdist comedy. I think both me and you said that we really liked Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun, but for me, as ridiculous as that was, there's some intelligent thought behind it. And with this, I just feel like he's not got a lot to say. I also think there's like I'm not a prude. I swear on this podcast, but he drops the F-bomb in there far too frequently as if it's funny. So I don't know. I feel like it's quite lazy in some respects, and I personally just don't get the appeal. Okay, so you watched season one two years ago, and you've watched the first two episodes of season two. Yeah, I've watched about four episodes, I think it is, of season two. And I don't think I'll be watching anymore. Well, I only heard of this recently because of the hype from season two, and you mentioned it as well. I absolutely loved this. Oh. I've watched all of season one and my expectations were low because, as you said, Tim Robinson is from Saturday Night Live and I hate Saturday Night Live. I absolutely hate it. But I think I think You Should Leave is brilliant and it's the funniest thing I've seen this year. It might be the funniest thing on all of Netflix. I was in fits, actual fits of laughter. I was in pain watching it. Have you seen the meme of the guy with some white dominoes and the first domino is small, but then... The dominoes get bigger and bigger. The idea is basically it's escalation, this improbable escalation. And I think that's what a lot of the sketches are. And I enjoyed that quite a lot. There's a sketch where Stephen Yen is getting gifts from people at his birthday party. And Tim Robinson gives him a wreath. And Stephen Yen obviously doesn't really like the wreath. And it escalates from there where Tim Robinson says, well, if you, if you like it and you're not going to return it, give me the gift receipt back. So then Tim Robinson says, okay, well, I'm going to eat the gift receipt. So he eats the gift receipt. Then he gets sick and he says it's because Stephen Yen's hands are covered in, in mud pie, in poo. And it just escalates from there and it gets to the point where everyone leaves the party. And in the end, Stephen Yen admits that he didn't actually wipe properly and his hands were covered in poo. Obviously, it's not funny and I'm, I'm describing it, but the point is there's an escalation in the sketches that I really liked. Spoilers for season one. The last bit is a guy screaming Garfield with the pitch changed and I've I was I laughed I laughed and laughed and laughed and I went back and watched it again five more times because I I loved it I'm absolutely loving it and I, I've got a whole other season two to watch. I'm annoyed. I really really want to like this and I don't know whether I've missed something. Maybe if I watch season one from the beginning in a whole new world that we live in now, maybe it'll register differently with me because I want to like it. Yeah. Oh, the the babe. Do you remember the baby of the year sketch where they do a baby of the year in memoriam, and it's of former babies of the year that have died of natural causes, but it also shows the cause of death. So it'll say like heart attack or pancakes by a truck, and someone says we don't usually see the cause of death. And yes, I do remember that. Weirdly, it's got um, Sam Richardson, your favorite character from the Tomorrow War, doing that bit, hasn't it? Yes, and he's brilliant in that as well. And I think I think a running gag with Sam Richardson in that is that he ends sketches by saying, "Just scrap it, just forget it, leave it," and it cuts, and that's the end of it. There is some bits that I do find funny in it, and that's why, you know, take my opinion lightly because I'm definitely in the minority, and you've proved that um, by giving a completely different opinion. So there you go. Two opposing views. Make your own mind up. I think you should leave. What else have you been watching? BBC Three documentary. Hi, Confessions of an Ibiza Drug Mule. I'm sure our UK listeners remember the story in 2013 of Michaela McCullum and Melissa Reed being caught in the airport in Peru trying to smuggle £1.5 million of cocaine into Spain. The Peru too. This is a five-episode documentary built around Michaela recalling the tale, and I thought there's no way they can drag this out for five episodes about this drug-smuggling idiot scum. 
but it takes you through her working in Ibiza as a waitress and a dancer, it seems, and being groomed basically into being a drug smuggler and her capture, her imprisonment where she made a beauty salon in prison and her eventual release. There are some entertaining what-the-hell moments, like when Michaela realises that she's on a plane to Peru after she gets on the plane. She only realises she's going to Peru when she sees the map. Where does she think she's going to? She doesn't think she's going to mainland Spain to collect some cocaine to fly back to Ibiza. But she's like rushed off by the drug dealer while she's on an acid trip. So he gives her acid and then sends her on the trip. So she's very sympathetic in this. And she's likable and self-deprecating. And it's all built around a sit-down interview with Michaela. But she also narrates dramatizations of the events. And she talks about how she knows that she was an idiot. And she's grown now and she's learned and... In a way, you feel that maybe this experience is what made her. And you get an insight into the drug dealing in Ibiza in Peru, and that's all interesting as well, because they have the chief prosecutor in Peru being interviewed. So they have some senior figures talking about it from their perspective of they were not confessing, they weren't collaborating, so we gave them the full sentence and things like that. I would recommend this high-quality documentary. On BBC Three, High Confessions of an Ibiza Drug Mule. That sounds really good, that. I think I might give it a go. I wanted a documentary that wasn't murder-filled. Yeah, not murder. Uh, no death, just crime, obviously, but in a way that ends ends well. How can our US audience watch that? Probably can't watch it unless there's some sort of BBC World Service channel they can watch it on. Just thought I'd make you feel bad for being UK-centric. Shall we reflect on Alan Partridge this time, season two on the BBC? Now that we've watched it in full, we gave our initial thoughts. Now we've watched it all as it's concluded. And again, another example of us disagreeing, especially within the comedy genre, which I think from memory, we're always pretty eye to eye on comedy or have been in the past. So it's weird that, and especially with Alan Partridge, we both love him, but I wasn't so keen. You thought it was perfectly fine. How did you end up feeling come the final episode? I ended up feeling that, yes, it was it was good. Very solid addition to the Partridge canon. It's not the best Partridge content. Nothing can top I'm Alan Partridge, the classic, or his first book, audio book, because it's always better to go inside his head and see him in private. But I did enjoy it. I liked how in this season, which I think will be the last season, that unravelling of things, the relationship with the, the makeup artist that unravels the protest the Princess Anne interview that doesn't happen and the blackface pictures that were not blackface and the punch. He ends up screwing himself over as he always does. What did you think of it in the end? I don't regret watching it. I feel a bit harsh about my initial review where I was basically saying, yeah, it's nowhere near as good. Fail, I think, from memory. I don't think it is a failure. I think it ends up mirroring a very similar story that we saw with Knowing Me, Knowing You come the climax especially. Um, it's almost direct rip-off to a degree of, of what happened in that episode, but for good reason, and it makes sense. It's not just lazy storytelling. I liked it. I'll tell you one thing that is really inconsequential in the whole view of this programme, though, but the makeup girl in this, she plays one of the lead characters in What We Do in the Shadows, and she's also the sister in Staff Let's Flats. So she's quite a prominent actress, but I don't think you see her face for three episodes of this second series, and she must feature in her entirety for about 10 minutes overall, and I just feel like it's a really weird role for her. Anyway, sorry, that's minor observation, but I don't know if you thought that or if you're even familiar with her. I wasn't familiar with her. 
But I think it's good that they've got someone good to do that because you don't see a face. You need someone that has a, has a presence. Yeah, and to be fair, for how minor a role it may seem, I think there is some real moments of humour out of her character, just a constant laughing to a point of it being uncomfortable and things like that. Um, but yeah, overall, I really liked a lot of this. I think the episodes get stronger as they go along and there's some real standout moments, which I would actually put up there with the best of Partridge, but I just don't feel like it's as consistent as some of the other series before it like you said i'm alan partridge being the prime example of that definitely better than most of the top charting stuff on netflix like sweet tooth can't weigh in on that because i haven't watched it yet but i normally trust your opinion so i'll lightly agree let's see if we agree on the most recent real news that we found it's the real thing it is now real real news news Hot off last week's episode, The Tomorrow War. We reviewed it. We offered our thoughts. We both didn't recommend it. We mentioned at the time that we'd been wounded by this a few weeks previous when we both recommended Army of the Dead. I found that I've had the opposite happen now, whereby I'm saying I didn't like The Tomorrow War and everyone's saying what you're talking about is very good. Have you found this? One other person that I've spoke to agreed with us. But, well, yeah, it's just been weirdly the opposite for me. Everyone's saying, no, it's really good. Anyway, it would seem most of the world agrees The Tomorrow War 2. Amazon and Skydance are in talks for a sequel already. Weirdly, this article that I have reports that everyone will return, including somebody who dies. Amazon and Skydance have not confirmed this yet. It is not official, but the appetite would appear to be there. It looks like as much as we didn't like it, James, we're getting more of it. One of the most watched things in households throughout the month of July. Record breaking. Which is funny because one of the things that was said about Tomorrow War was that it was nice to see something that wasn't part of a franchise, a one-off action film that is now no longer a one-off action film because it ends pretty decisively. And that's one of the good things about it, but obviously it's not the end. Never will be if you're going to make money. Speaking of not original, Parasite. Did you watch this film? To my shame, no. Okay, so for those who don't know, I'm sure a lot of listeners will, Parasite was a film that made recent history by becoming the first Korean film to win both the Palm d'Or <coughs> at the Cannes Film Festival and took everyone by surprise by also winning the Academy Award for Best Film in... Is it 2020? It was 2020, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't see this coming. It's coming to the small screen via HBO. They are going to adapt this into a TV series, which will be produced by none other than Will Ferrell's mate and comedy partner, Adam McKay. He's not just purely known for Adam McKay. He's done some solid work. I think the big short being his big award-winning film. Director Bong Joon-ho, he says that the upcoming Parasite series will be something of great genius or at least he hopes it to be. Adam McKay, producer, he has confirmed the series will not be a remake, but an original story set within the same universe. So pointless me asking you whether you're interested because you haven't seen the film. In fact, that's not true. You may still be interested. I'm interested. It's maybe when I watch Parasite more. I should probably get on that, really. It is very, very, very good. James, what have you discovered in the world of real news this week? Cinema Blend has done an article about Quentin Tarantino offering his thoughts about Zack Snyder fans fighting to release the Snyder Cut of Justice League. The funny thing about this, once you scroll past the ads and the opening text, is that the Quentin Tarantino quote is, 
I haven't seen it because I don't have HBO Max, but it's something I'd like to see. I never saw the other one. I never saw Justice League when it was in theatres. He's not seen either one, but we're doing an article about what is what he thinks anyway. I'd be curious to see it, and I thought the fans were really groovy. Didn't he do something like that with Watchmen as well? So he, he doesn't really know what's going on. And I'm not disrespecting Quentin Tarantino here. The point is, is that they've done an article about a quote where he's just said, yeah, fine. I've not seen any of it, but sure. Yeah, seems, seems fine. Doesn't, I think I stumbled across this article as well. Doesn't it refer to it as his blunt opinion? Yeah, his blunt thoughts. It couldn't be further from blunt. <laughs> yeah, blunt would be a firm, plainly stated, but strong opinion. Yeah, this very, is like, very misleading. You have not really seen it. Um, but yes, balls the fans were fine. Yeah, whatever. Oh, good old news. But just visiting this site, I've seen about 10 ads and lots of trending videos about Black Widow. It's very apt because that's what we're not going to talk about now. It's later. Definitely set this podcast off right. I'm deep, I'm deep, I'm deep, I'm deep, I'm deep. Oh yeah. Well, 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 she well. She said she wants some war of the world, some rock to perdition, some starter for ten. We'll definitely set this podcast I'm off right. I'm deep, I'm deep. Yes, it yes, will. It will. Definitely I'm deep, will. I'm deep. Oh, yes, it will. You know what I told her? Let's have a vintage review for Tomb Raider. This summer. The planets will align. It was the Illuminati who swore to bring their ancestors back to life. Time will stand still. Have you ever heard of the Clock of Ages? It gives its possessor the power of the light. And the fate of mankind. Eternal hell revives! Will rest in the hands of one. Ooh, don't start. Lara Croft, an adventurer, embarks on a journey to find an artifact that possesses the ability to control time. A secret society wants to lay its hands on the relic for its own immoral purposes. Daniel, you were a big Tomb Raider fan back in the day of the games. You played the originals. Do you remember watching this 20 years ago and what did you think? I definitely did watch it. 20 years ago i've got to say i really struggle to remember it and that might be very obvious as to why like you said huge fan from the very first game and it is hard to cast my mind back but i would imagine that i had this giddy fanboy overdrive in anticipation for this film <sighs> it, it just didn't deliver did it let's let's cut straight to a new story that's nearly 20 years old <laughs> It didn't. It was another nail in the coffin, second mention of coffins, this episode, of Hollywood cannot adapt video games. And I think the problem is the thought process when making this film, and forgive my vulgarness, I'm being a studio exec now, but it was, find someone with big tits, let's worry about the rest later. And I, I genuinely think that's what happened here, because this should have been the Indiana Jones for a new generation, and it really could have been if they'd put any effort into the script. But the plot is so unbelievably thin, they obviously made it up as they went along. It's essentially, there's an artifact, Lara Croft wants it, bad guy wants it, throw in a few mindless, uninspired action scenes, ensure she's wearing hot pants at least once, and she's dual-wielding guns at some points. Good. Sorted, away you go. Doesn't matter about the rest. There's more imagination in a single level of the original Tomb Raider game than there is in the entirety of this film. 
in 2021, I was expecting a very problematic ogling of Angelina Jolie's lady bits in every scene. And it is definitely there, but it's surprisingly not as on the nose as I thought it might be, but it's still there. There's a shower scene. I didn't even remember it. I'm sure 16-year-old me was quite happy with it at the time. Then there's this climactic action scene that is purely there to allow things to jiggle. Did you know, by the way, that they padded her bra to an extra cup size for this? I suspected that they did in, in some shots. Just you'd never have boobs been so integral to a film, and it's such a shame. The action, it, some of it's okay, but it's very forgettable. Um, they also have this, uh, did you notice the techno music they play in every single action scene, and it just doesn't work? God-awful music. It is god-awful. It's just terrible, isn't it? And it, and I said it's a shame, and it is, because Angelina Jolie, she's good. She's a perfect Lara Croft, despite being American. She's just given nothing to work with. Uh, Pre-Bond Daniel Craig here as well, with a really troubling American accent, and the first one of two that will be mentioned this week. Just make him English, for God's sake. Chris Barry from The British Empire and Red Dwarf. Completely forgot he was in this. What's he doing here? That was weird. I mean, he's fine, but did you remember that? I didn't remember that, no. I didn't remember that. I am nearly done, by the way. I'll shut up. Sorry, I just had some really strong feelings about this film. <laughs> um, unlike Rain of Fire, which we reviewed last week, which came out less than a year after this, we said last week the CGI in that held up really well. This looks like Buffy the Vampire Slayer level bad. Really, really bad. And that was TV budget. And this was not a cheap film. <sighs> Final scene with a real-life father, John Voight, which, again, I'd forgot he was in this, and I remembered some weird tabloid thing about them hating each other, so I never thought they were in a film together, so that was quite interesting to see. But there's some really awful dialogue. So through a series of weird events that don't make any sense, she has this encounter with him at the end, and he says, we can't change time. And she's like, but time was stolen from us, and it's not fair. And he says but you have stolen time itself. Shut the f*** up. It's terrible, terrible raw dialogue. It's as bad as I remember. Some things are better left off in the past. This is definitely one of them. I want to apologise for bringing it back into the minds of those who fought so hard to forget it. Go and watch the 2018 version with Alicia Vikander. It's not amazing, but it's far better than this. We can be partners. You might try to kill me. I'm not going to kill you. I said you'd try. <laughs> I'm not sure if I remember watching this. I remember the sequel, Cradle of Life. I remember thinking that is the worst film that I have ever seen. And that always stood in my mind as that is the worst film I've ever seen in the cinema. So I had low expectations for this. However, we've gone back to Fast and Furious and Reign of Fire and said, actually, they're okay for what they are, but it doesn't hold up at all. Nothing about this holds up. It is truly awful. And going back doesn't make it any better. Angelina Jolie is perfect in it, but wasted. You could have built the film around her sneaking around tombs and fighting tigers or something. And that would have been better than this. The opening scene with the robot is the only actual solo tomb raiding stuff in it. And it's a training fight. Did you know that? Because with, with a very distant memory of this film, at first I thought, oh, this is even worse than I remember. They've got, it's like a weird set design where it looks really cheap. I did know because I watched the trailer again beforehand and there was a comment on YouTube about the training robot. The plot, you mentioned the plot a little bit. It's somehow simple and contrived at the same time. It's basically a MacGuffin plot like The Rise of Skywalker. 
but it's contrived as well. Find the clock, find the two pieces of a thing to unlock another thing to do a thing, and there's also a countdown. Mm. With action scenes in between them explaining this simple and contrived plot. Just awful, awful. Most of the dialogue is exposition with no one learning about each other or why they're doing anything. Some of the action is decent, I thought. The scene where she gets attacked in Croft Manor and she's dangling from a rope and jumps around and spinning and stuff. And it's all done real, obviously. There's some good stunt work in it. And I liked the end bit where they're on a big globe, a spinning globe, and they're jumping on that. And it's like a platforming section. The nod to the game, which is a platform game. The CGI mention was terrible. When they were doing the, the CGI monster fight, you know when all that magic liquid was touching the monsters? Oh, the my monsters, word. I thought, oh, my God, please don't do a CGI monster fight because it's going to look awful, and that is what happened. Like, it looked <laughs> like Jason and the Argonauts. That's how bad it looked. I can't believe that Lord of the Rings came out in the same year as this. It was awful. I'd forgotten that. That is embarrassing. There's no excuse. I thought this was just, especially with Red and Fire, I thought maybe there was a huge leap within a year. But no. One thing that stood out, where's all the women? Angina Jolie is the only woman in the whole film, which really stands out when you watch Black Widow and this on the same morning. But where Tomb Raider is more equal than Black Widow is that the male villain and rival, they're presented as only slightly less competent than Lara Croft and they present a legitimate threat to her. And that makes Lara Croft look strong when she eventually outsmarts them and beats them, which is not the case in Black Widow. I I didn't even notice that. Does that make me a huge misogynist? I didn't even notice, but now you've said it, I was like, wow. Yeah, she is the only woman. That's that's madness. Daniel Craig gets stabbed more or less in the heart. I'm sure Angelina Jolie's reaction is that she sighs. Did yeah, you notice she, that? She, she no-sells it completely. And the way that Daniel Craig falls into the water after being stabbed and the way that the villain, Jorah from Game of Thrones, falls into the water, they fall in a really stiff way that looks like Delroy going through the bar. And it was comical. Maybe I should watch it back again, just for that bit. Well, fortunately, it is on BBC iPlayer, so we didn't have to actually pay to see this. We could watch it for free. And we've also, once again, prevented you from having to do so. If your memory's a bit fuzzy and you think it is worth a rewatch, we're both telling you it's not. Please avoid. This week's main review was not free. Far, far, far from being free. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Promise it back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles, thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Black Widow. Before I was an Avenger, I made mistakes. And a lot of enemies. His call signs Taskmaster. He controls the Red Room. They're manipulated, fully conscious, but no choices. I should have come back for you. How many others are there? Enough. I'm so tired of this forced diversity. Where's White Widow? <laughs> I've got more than that.
Disney kicks off phase four of the MCU by going into the past to fill in gaps that didn't need filling to tell a story about characters we've never heard of that we will never see again. Scarlett Johansson returns for this third remake of The Winter Soldier to literally, and I mean literally, be replaced by a younger model. Natasha Romanoff, aka Black Widow, confronts the darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. Pursued by a force that will stop at nothing to bring her down, Natasha must deal with her history as a spy and the broken relationships left in her wake long before she became an Avenger. James, it's been a long, long time waiting for this film. You were very cynical in your comedy summary, but what did you think of Black Widow? There's two approaches to this. One is it's just an action film, look at it like that, or in the context of the MCU and its release placement and where it fits in. As an action film, it's adequate. There are plot holes that will be forgivable in other non-franchise films with lower expectations. Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh. Is that an okay pronunciation? Well, it's not neither Pug nor P, which you pronounced it as last time. So yeah, I think that's fine. Okay, they're both excellent. Love them both. Florence Pugh, I really like her because she was in Fighting With My Family, the wrestling biopic, so she can do no wrong. Good car chases, good rooftop chases, good fights and CGI chaos, which unfortunately is all in the trailer. So if you've seen the trailer, you've seen pretty much all of what the action is in this film. In the context of the MCU, why make this film? Why? Why? Uh, It doesn't work to do this now. And I continue to believe my own conspiracy that they planned to do this before Infinity War or before Endgame but they decided to push Captain Marvel instead. So the release was pushed back, but they still had Scarlett Johansson on contract. So they thought, "Eh, why not? Let's make it. I don't like mind control plots. It's a bugbear for me. I don't like seeing mind controlled villains. It just means that you're not seeing people be motivated to do what they're actually doing. It's less interested than someone deciding to do something. It's lazy to me. Don't like it. I can see the very obvious theme of control that they were going for. I just don't like it. And having red mist to cure the mind control and having that be the basis for the entire plot was not good. The plot of the film is we need to get the magic mind control mist and spray it into the faces of 50 people that are being controlled by this guy. And quickly disposing of an utterly useless villain that is a toad of a man that is not a threat. So that's paying off my tease of what I was going to say about the, the villains in the Tomb Raider review. We've always wondered about Black Widow's past. What happened in Budapest? What happened when she was a Russian spy? And this is not going into her past. It's more of her talking about her past, not seeing what the actual past was, which I would have liked to see more. And something doesn't make sense in the wider context again, which is going to be a problem more and more in the MCU, is how was this guy, Ray Winston, who they thought was dead, how was he below their radar? They tried to have a line where they say, oh, how has he been below my radar? How indeed? It makes no sense. You have to retcon this character in and say that he's there and retcon in this younger sister. And you wonder why have these people not been mentioned before? And it's too clear that they've made all this stuff up. Well, everything's made up. It's all fiction. They've made this stuff up and tried to explain why it's ever been mentioned before. Why is it happening now? And that's going to be more of a problem when the Eternals comes out and you'll be saying, well, why have the Eternals done nothing until now? And there'll be one line to explain why. 
they're trying to remake the Winter Soldier for the second time, which is the best Marvel film. And in that film, Bucky, the Winter Soldier, was a real threat with a real link to Captain America and Black Widow knew about him. There was a clear theme of trauma in that film. And that's why you have Falcon in a scene talking to veterans who are traumatized by their experience. You have espionage and sneaking and it builds to a fight in a floating fortress. Even in Winter Soldier, there is a scene where Bucky fires a bomb underneath a car to flip it over, which they also do here. So there's similar stuff in Black Widow, but it didn't come together for me. It didn't work. It didn't have that gel sticking it all together. There's obviously another theme, like I've said, with control, male control. That could have been really good, but it's done through a magic mind control herbs and red mist that I didn't like. Daniel, what did you think of Black Widow? Sorry, I'm still absorbing a lot of what you've said. I wasn't. Do you know what? No, that's not like, that's not true. I was going to say I thought you might be like this. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just re-emphasise. I've said it before, but, you know, new time listeners. I'm a casual fan of the Marvel films. I've not seen every one of them. I've been curious about this film, but I've not climbed aboard the hype train for it. And thank God I didn't, because I don't think I could have sustained excitement for nearly two years, um, given how long it's took to actually get this film. This is intimidating for me because I haven't seen every film and it takes place between Civil War and Infinity War. So the one thing that I was actually hoping for with this is that it would be quite a self-contained story. And that that was a selfish ask for me because I'm not as up to speed as a lot of people are with the universe. And I will go ahead and say that I think it works mostly as a standalone film. I think you can come into this with not really any idea about the other films. There's mention of the Avengers and I've fractured the relationship is between them at the moment, but it didn't feel bogged down by it in linking itself to the films that have come before it. So I think if you, if you have got that limited understanding of the world, you can go into this safe and I don't think a lot of it is going to go over your head but to back you up in some of the stuff that you said if you are a hardcore fan and I might be assuming incorrectly here but you might be expecting more fan rewards than you actually get where it explains things away that have been hinted at previously or it expands upon things from the previous films or even sets things up for the next phase and maybe there is some of that stuff in there there is a bit which we'll come on to in spoilers but it doesn't appear to have that as one of its goals and for that reason i can understand if somebody would look upon this as unnecessary padding a la angeline jolie's bra and that's you know, and it's just another way to make a quick billion dollars. And if that's some people's takeaway, I think that's fine. But I, I will give Marvel credit for, and it, it's not just an excuse for me to constantly bash DC every week. It's not. This is a non-entry into the series, I think, but it's so structurally solid in comparison to other studios. <laughs> it's got a clear narrative. It has a fairly complex and well thought out background to the character that you're already familiar with the surrounding characters specifically the members of Natasha's family they've got enough personality to them so that you're interested at least oh well I was and I will say controversially I think Black Widow is the most uninteresting character in this film Florence Pugh echo your sentiments 
Uh, she plays her sister, Yelena. I'm so happy for her. I had a big concern that she'd be acting in Scarlett Johansson's shadow. And similar to you, I've been a big fan ever since I watched Fighting with my family and Midsummer. actually. I thought she was phenomenal in that. But for me, she outperforms Johansson. I think she's far more interesting. She's constantly stealing scenes left, right and centre, sometimes because of the dialogue. She gets a lot of the witty one-liners. The comedy payoff of Florence Pugh criticising... Black Widow for posing the way that she does. That's mentioned quite a few times. And then at the end, or near the end, Yelena falls from a skylight and strikes that pose accidentally, it would seem. I loved that. I thought that was so funny. It really, really worked for me. Did you think? Yeah, I thought it was funny. It was also funny in Deadpool when it was done in Deadpool, making fun of superhero poses many, many years ago in Deadpool. David Harper as well. He's a source of comic relief, more so than I thought, actually. There's a lot more humour. I know that there is historically humour in Marvel films, but this was more full-on than I was expecting. And he's not just one-dimensional, David Harbour's character, the Red Guardian. He's quite multi-layered. The action, too, as you would expect from Marvel, it's more than competent. It's full-on assured. There's plentiful, really thrilling chase sequences that you mentioned. The hand-time fight sequences are well choreographed. And towards the climax, I was like full-on pulse racing. This is proper exhilarating stuff. I, I think some of the end fight I loved, actually. I thought it looked amazing. I think you might be a bit letter on it because you've seen the trailer i hadn't seen any of that so it was all a bit of a surprise to me there's just such a confidence to marvel's films that it further cements that whatever they do is probably well thought out and about making money but it's not by fluke there's a glossy sheen to it and they know exactly how to give audiences what they want I sound like I love this film in comparison to you. I don't. I just thought it was very, very good. It isn't perfect at all. There's some really weird shortcuts that they take at times, which make the plot feel a bit thin, and it just serves as a reason to get to the next action scene. For example, I don't think it's a massive spoiler to say, once Yelena, as an adult, is introduced, she is, for all intents and purposes, she is evil. She's under mind control. That lasts for two minutes when we're introduced to her, and then suddenly... No, mind control averted. She now knows that she's been under this influence and she wants to do good. I, I thought, hang on a minute, that, that's just come out of absolutely nowhere. It was far too sudden. You've already said the main villain, Ray Winston, it didn't work at all. I said it with Daniel Craig. This was the second mention. Really wildly inconsistent and unconvincing Russian accent. He went into Cockney far too much. And I know he is the puppet master, and he's not the one with brute force strength, but I just didn't feel intimidated by him. Weirdly, the person that he gets to do his bidding, one of his henchmen, or is it? I felt that they were really, really intimidating. Every time they were on screen, I felt like, oh my God, these characters are in trouble. And it felt a bit dark and adulty. And I thought, oh, this is really scary. Even if they weren't on foot and they were in a vehicle, I don't know whether it was the music that helped that or whatever, but that that did really work. And it just kind of highlighted how much Ray Winston didn't. Anyhow, that aside, I had a feeling I would look on this film favorably-ish. It was never going to be a complete failure. And I don't think Marvel are even capable of it now, unless they just get stuck in this doing the same thing over and over again. They don't try and reinvent what they're doing. But I think that I'm not going to disagree with you in that I think they could have just done away with this film and it doesn't really make a difference to the whole story. It's just, it's a good enough film and we'll make some money out of it. Why not? Just to pick up on one thing you've said about Florence Pugh, Yelena being better than Scarlett Johansson or being very prominent. It's funny that the Black Widow film is finally here and she's outperformed in her own film by the younger model, who's obviously 
And it's not a spoiler to say. Anyone can see it coming. She's being set up to do more in the franchise going forward. I did have this feeling of let's just get this over with because it was supposed to come out last year as this big launch of the new series of of films and it still didn't make sense that it was set in the past but this was going to lead the charge for the next set of stuff but it's coming out when we've already had one division and falcon and winter soldier and loki's about to finish and they've all created their own intrigue around new things what what are gonna what's gonna happen and black widow really adds nothing and i I guess i've seen the post credit scene but it still adds nothing to that and it just kind of re-emphasizes a lot of what you've said about the TV shows in that they set a lot of things up that basically end up accumulating in a whole lot of nothing and it's just in order to push a reset button and carry on with the story. This feels like that in that it's inconsequential. Indeed. But I think, just to be positive again, I think we both feel positively about this as an action film with strong performances. You like Scarlett Johansson in general as well, I think, do you? Yeah, yeah, true. I think they're so good that you could have done without Red Guardian and Rachel Weisz. You could have just had those two on an adventure together because they are so good in it. And like you say, Marvel knows exactly what we're doing with this action and they know how to deliver the hand-to-hand fights and the big CGI stuff, even though it doesn't make sense that she could fall 100 feet, grab onto a railing and not have her arm be ripped off. (laughs) That just doesn't make sense. I'm not having that. Still look good, though. Just seeing as you mentioned it, Rachel Weisz in this, she was in the opening scene, that's in the past past and she was there and i thought oh my god you look younger than when i last saw you then i later come on to find that that's like a flashback or they will have aged her she still doesn't look like she's aged she's 51 it's uncanny it's the most magical thing about this fantastical film is how she's aged trivia time and you can play along at home if you want what is the husband and wife connection between lara croft tomb raider and black widow there is no husband and wife in Tomb Raider. I mean, the actors are married to each other. Did they both marry Billy Bob Thornton? No. <laughs> Daniel Craig and Rachel Weisz are currently married since 2011. Of course. I forgot about that. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. Joined up all the dots. Yep. James, would you recommend Black Widow? Yes, but let's not pretend that it's a superior and important addition to the MCU. Daniel, would you recommend Black Widow? I really liked it, so yes. Shall we go into spoilers? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Before we get into the, the ultimate, this is the plot, this is how it all progresses, and this is what happens in the end. First 10 minutes, really, for me. David Harbour hanging onto a plane in midair, how does he get back in? They never show that. What? What? How did that happen? Were you not left a bit like, me? Eh, what? I, well, even before then, I thought, how is it going to take off with him on the plane? Surely it can't just take off with him on the wing. Bothered me that. Anyway, sorry, let's move on. Black Widow teams with younger Black Widow, her sister, who's not a sister, to take down Ray Winston, who has an army, a squad, a battalion, a platoon, a gaggle, of mind-controlled Black Widows and they want to spray them with red mist to break the mind control and liberate these uh, these other Black Widows. And the emotional connection to all of it is that Black Widow, the real Black Widow, Natasha, she was trained, captured, manipulated by Ray Winston. She thought he was dead. He's not. So let's go back and finish the job. 
and they do. He meets a fiery, horrible death, and it turns well, Taskmaster. We'll, we'll talk about Taskmaster later. But Taskmaster is is a henchman who's actually a henchwoman. Spoiler. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're in spoilers. So Black Widow says, "Okay, family, you're only going to be in this for one film. So bye." And then she dyes her hair blonde. And says, I'm going to retcon the end of Civil War and I'm going to go to the prison and free the Avengers that were captured in my new plane. And my lovely white suit. Which we also don't see again. And the end credit scene is Florence Pugh being approached by Val from Seinfeld. She says, oh, work for me and kill Hawkeye. And that's setting up Disney Plus content. Yeah, I, I didn't get that. Obviously, not as off fair with the whole universe as some people, as I've said, like ridiculous amounts of times now. Shut up. But he didn't, did he? I can't remember what happened in Endgame. He had nothing to do with the death. No, he didn't. He didn't. So it seems that there's some sort of manipulation. Maybe it's because there's some lie about Hawkeye killing Black Widow. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I care. But I'm sure it'll be like, resolved immediately. Episode one of Hawkeye. Episode one, scene one, will be Florence Pugh confronting Hawkeye. Then they'll say, oh, no, we're being manipulated. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really care for that end scene. I was a bit annoyed. I went to watch the... Well, I fast-forwarded. Not going to lie. wasn't in a cinema, so I could. Why not? There was an expectation this would be a kind of send-off for Black Widow, but it wasn't at all. There was no farewell. The last time she's seen on screen is going off into a jet. That was one complaint that Iron Man got his big send-off in Endgame. There was the whole funeral scene and there was nothing here. They had two actresses stood next to a grave. That's it. I was going to make the same point, actually, about the Tony Stark thing. It just didn't. There's no emotion. They could have had a bit of a tear-jerky moment then, I think. They, they could have done that, but they didn't choose to, which feels like a bit of a wasted opportunity. Taskmaster is a relatively minor villain from the comics, who is a man in the comics, and it is with his incredible intelligence and photographic memory that he's able to mimic the the fighting styles and to an extent powers i think of the characters i only know that from googling it and reading about it i've never read anything about this character don't care what i do know is that there was a lot of hype about finally seeing the taskmaster we're going to see taskmaster what powers is he going to adapt what's he going to do this man called tony can't wait to see him brought to life it's actually the lobotomized daughter of Ray Winston who has information uploaded via a USB port in her neck. And that is how she is able to mimic the poses and shield use and arrow use of the characters. It's just controversy. Controversy about that. One star reviews being handed out purely because they ruined Taskmaster, that beloved character Taskmaster that everyone knows and loves. Oh, that's, that's a bit too much. There's no need for that. Well, mind you, I'm not a fan of the comics, so I suppose if you are, that is a bit of a uh, F you. Um, but come on, get a grip. Sorry if that applies to you. <laughs> I I really, really liked all of that. Did you Do you agree with me that whenever, presumably he at the time, but ended up if she was on screen, it was like, shit. Yes, I agree. Did did present a threat. Not as cool as, as Winter Soldier. I had this understanding that this character can mimic things just because they're so intelligent and just so skilled. They can watch the DVDs of the previous Marvel films and learn how to use shield and, and arrows and things like that. And I think having that be some sort of computer 
thing with her being like a half robot. I didn't like that at all. So aside from the the gender flip, which I don't care about because I don't care about the character, I didn't like the technology approach to it. Fair enough. What did you think of all the family stuff in the middle when they go to Melina's house? And it's all like, oh, revisiting the family from the past. Let's reconnect. Not. Forced, predictable, unfunny, too long. Why did it have to be them just sitting around a table? Why not have them? They don't want to get into the habit of suggesting things. Sorry, don't want to. But have them do some domestic life, like doing some washing up or cooking or help me with these pigs and, you know, have them slip back into this domestic situation and all this old stuff gets thrown up via action and doing things and handling things. Instead, they do the least imaginative thing, which is let's sit around a table and talk and then go to a bedroom and talk. Mm. stereotypically as well because the Russian drinking vodka yeah. all Russians drink vodka and I did wonder so. why they were all in their action outfits while they were eating dinner and I think it was because they were all going to be kidnapped so they had to be <laughs> dressed they had to be dressed appropriately to be kidnapped what did you think did you like the family stuff or I think it was a bit of a lull really in proceedings I, I think it took the energy out of it a bit i did mildly smile i think at some bits especially when she uses the mind control to stop the pig from breathing because that's that's my humor i guess but yeah i could have done without it i think and it also then sets us up for the finale and i didn't quite understand the whole the whole face swapping stuff at that point they appear on ray winston's in the sky the red room that's what it's called isn't it and melina and Black Widow have swapped places. So you don't know any of this at this point. But she conveniently has time to plant an earpiece in Florence Pugh's ear when actually, from what I understood of what was going in the scene, she may as well have just gone and grabbed Red Guardian and Yelena and said, we've got a plan. Here's, here's what we're all doing so everyone knows and we're all on the same page and everything goes smoothly. But they, for some reason, don't tell the others. It didn't make sense to me because they had time. So they didn't tell Florence Pugh about it either? No, the first she knows of it going on is when they speak to her, when she's about to get dissected and she's got an earpiece in that she wasn't aware of. What the hell kind of criminal organisation kidnaps someone and straps them to a table but leaves in an earpiece and a knife on that, that highly trained assassin? With the finale, then, after they get kidnapped, as the fast-paced, exciting action scene is happening, they keep flashing back to Melina, the mother, and Natasha explaining the plan to each other. Really didn't like that. Really, really, really very much did not like cutting back to them explaining the plan. We don't need to go back to have a scene with them explaining about the earpieces. We don't need to see them swapping outfits. There was too much explanation and going back and it killed the pace. I agree and I think it was unnecessarily convoluted, that bit. You could have just had them in on the plan from the start. Yeah, and the plan wasn't even that complicated. You got deliberately captured to fight them from the inside. No, it did ruin the momentum of that final bit, I think. And when the Black Widows are broken from the mind control, finally they have their their independence and their agency. The first words that are spoken by one of them is, what do we do now? Still asking (laughs) to be told what to do. Quick side note, I don't want to bang on, on this point, but the performers themselves bring up this this topic in interviews so i think it's fair game you have to be blind at this point not to see what is going on with the male and female characters in these films and i shouldn't even need to spell it out be controversial james say we get out there say something really outlandish 
Red Guardian is one is a complete buffoon in this film. He's purely the comic relief. Ray Winston is a slimy toad, and Black Widow and Florence Pugh are invincible. So you're saying we're never going to have a balanced story where, where we actually both have good and evil sides. Yeah, men are evil and weak. Women are good and strong. I think we've reached the end, but if you want to fill in more story, we can make another episode and just say that it's set between episode 58 and 59. We're not doing that. We're not. No, we're going to move forward into next week. When we're going to be discussing a film with a similar plot, aren't we? (laughs) Yes. Gunpowder Milkshake, which is being released on Netflix, starring Karen Gillan and Lena Headey. And Paul Giamatti, good cast. That's not even the end of it. Angela Bassett's in it too. There's a few more faces. Star-studded. Never even heard of this until we spoke about it earlier this week. I'm quite excited now. I'm excited too. Thank you for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback, you can always do so by leaving us a five-star review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us at Instagram at In the Isles Podcast, and you can email us with your thoughts, suggestions, critique at In the Isles Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. James, have you any parting words of wisdom? If they gender flipped Lara Croft, he'd be called Tom Brader. <laughs> <laughs>